It's episode 17 of Honestly Unbalanced and this week we're chatting to a good friend, Michael James Wong. Mike is a leading voice in the global movement for modern mindfulness and he does so much. He's a community activist, a yoga and meditation teacher, a speaker, an author, the founder of Just Breathe, Sunday School Yoga and Boys of Yoga. I've been always intrigued to understand how he can stay motivated and find the time to do so much and we find out a little bit of that in this conversation. Uh, Mike is also dedicated to building and celebrating strong communities, which massively comes across in why he does what he does. Enjoy the conversation, guys. I'm sure you will. Whether you're practicing from home at the moment or finally getting back to yoga studios, you could probably do with your own yoga mat. And the best ones I've encountered are the Lifeform yoga mats. Uh, with code AHUSTLER19, you get a discount, we get commission, win-win. Have a peek, that's a Lifeform yoga mat. Honestly unbalanced. Right, so Mr. MJ Michael James Wong, Mike, lockdown you haven't stopped at all. Like I live kind of around the corner from you. I've barely seen you, but I've been tracking you <laughs> and your ability to work constantly and hard has mm. not ended. Like, how have you done it despite the fact you're like locked in a room? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm locked in a room <laughs> where I'm not allowed out, but I mean, it's, it's true in the sense that during the lockdown time I have been staying at home and a lot of the focus has been on uh, creating new projects, writing new programs, and working on things that are actually moving towards, you know, progress for for all the different things that we're working on yoga wise. I don't get how you're bothered though. Like how you how you how you kind of maintain the motivation. Like I get that when you're out in the world and in London and meeting loads of creatives every day, you know, you're kind of inspired by that and going to like Soho House and stuff you see and meet cool people. But then kind of when you're okay, you're not locked in, you're not in prison, but when you're like in a small area with just one other person. Like, how do you manage to not only have the inspiration, but actually stay motivated to be bothered? I mean, yeah, no, I, I, it's a good question. And sometimes I ask myself the same thing. I mean, I think the, the joy of doing the work that I do is that it's all by choice, right? I mean, I get mm. to design the programs I work on, the, the, the trainings I teach, the things I write. So in some ways, while it is inspiration, it's also, you know, working towards things that I'm very passionate about or things that I can control uh, the progress on. And, you know, during this time, it is, it is unique because, you know, I'm not going out, I'm not traveling as much. I mean, all three of us, we travel quite a lot on a regular schedule. So actually having the time to put some focus on projects that maybe have been on the back burner a little bit or kind of catching up on things that uh, I've really wanted to do and haven't been able to do has actually been nice a nice use of time. So every day while I am working on different projects, whether it's a podcast or a manual or writing kind of you know a, a new project, the days are different, but the days are still full. I am so intrigued to know how you have the time to do everything you do because you are someone that just has so much on the go all the time and your thing is mindfulness and pausing and getting quiet and being still so do you is it, is it just bullshit or do you actually have the time <laughs> just get it straight in there straight do you actually the take Gosh, the time strong today <laughs> i've had like three coffees but no i mean it's a good question <laughs> and also hang, hang on, you know, on. the energy drink that you gave us oh god holly's I've... been drinking with the bloody oh, energy drink so yes. coffee and energy drink that's why i'm shaking a little yeah. bit so well, I mean, do, yeah i mean yeah, it's totally you... i'm like let's preface it in the sense of like i don't drink coffee energy drinks alcohol oh my like, god, so, so even... you know, those kind of extra stimulants so but what is your secret like the secret for me is doing work that I really am passionate about. Yeah. And the reality is, is it may seem, and, and like everyone looks at stuff on social media or posts that go out or projects or things that get announced, it may seem like there's a lot of different things that I'm working on. And maybe there are, but it's also, it's not me by myself. You know, you have yeah. to surround yourself with people who are doing good work, supporting the work you're doing, or you're paying people to do work that's supporting mm -hmm. the work you're doing, right? This is not a complete you know industry of let's just get all our friends to help or try to do everything by ourselves mm -hmm. it is part of a business it's part of an approach and it's part of a a reality of for me to create these things to celebrate communications have to also be willing to put in the work 
and as part of these practices, mindfulness, you know, this sense of, of yoga and meditation, yes, it's hugely about getting quiet, mm. um, having that sense of space, uh, but it's also about having that sense of presence, having that willingness to participate, having, uh, you know, the, the courage to actually have conversations. That very much is still part of the practice. It just depends on what side you're leaning into at the moment you're doing it. Mm. So do you have a sort of set times in the day where you say, right, this is my time where I, I am mindful and I meditate or is it just, does it all get sort of swamped under with work or do you, do you have to kind of make that time for yourself? No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty structured in how I yeah. work and how I live. Like, you know, I have my non-negotiables of time and quiet time in the morning. Mm. I have dedicated time where I'm at my desk writing stuff or responding to stuff or catching up with people. Mm. And then I have time when I'm teaching or I'm working on stuff that requires no one else. And I just need some outside time to think about stuff. Mm. And it's just kind of a mix and a flow, but it really, it does have some sense of rhythm to it because otherwise there are a lot of different things that I'm working on or that we're working on. And if I'm just trying to randomly pick on mm. and yeah. do things that I want to do, that's where the chaos comes in. When you have a million things you want to do, and then you try to do a little bit of everything yeah. and then you actually do nothing. Yes, I guess that's e so Even true. as someone just observing your social media, it's kind of, it's clear that you do that, mm. that you will put on, right, today I'm going to X place to work on the book. Mm. Like is that you, mm. you are very clearly creating divisions of time where you are working on certain projects and getting your head down and like reading some books and listening to podcasts at the moment including tim ferris with what's it called wolverine hugh jackman oh that's brilliant and talking yeah. about like the non-negotiables yeah. as you said yeah. that they have each day and like one of his was reading to his wife at night they take no, in the it, morning in so the morning sweet. they start yeah. their day together and just read to oh, each other cool. for like so half an hour hugh jackman thing oh yeah, my god he a, is the one yeah, i'd like him i like him a lot but a bit what, too much what kind of non-negotiables do you have <laughs> are, are they like kind of meditation Practice. Meditation, movement, it's quiet time, it's alone time, it's time to it, relationship time, mm -hmm. but it, a lot of it is is focus time. And I think that is the biggest thing that a lot of people fall victim to. A lot of yoga teachers fall victim mm -hmm. to, a lot of people fall victim of, of trying to do lots of things, but also trying to be around lots of people, trying mm -hmm. to be liked by lots of people, trying to you know play the same games, everyone. I mean, even for me, like social media, I mean, people have seen it. It's not like I have massive numbers, but also I don't post pictures of me. I post little quotes of things I'm thinking mm. about or pictures of my niece or random events that are coming up. It's, it's very much a tool of work as well as a place of inspiration as opposed to being a place of kind of a, a vacuum for vanity. <laughs> I have to, I have I to like say, I, I am so partial to a quote and I love that you put up your own personal quotes. And I was just actually having a stalk of you as I do before these podcasts. Um, and you, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of how um, taking the next best step rather than planning ahead, just going with the flow and taking the next best step on, on your path. Yeah. That's and I really song. like that. I know, and that's why that's why it stuck. Right. We the just watched Frozen. We, yeah, I love that you Great. know that, Adam. <laughs> I'd love um, to say I stole it from Frozen, but I didn't, unfortunately. No, it's but not, maybe it's original. Maybe, they, maybe it was originally inspired by a Disney movie of some sort. No, it's not verbatim. But what is the song like? Next, do um, the next best. I'm not um, doing it please, justice. Please sing it, Adam. Go <laughs> on. Adam sings these songs around this the house. This episode is brought to you by Adam singing songs for an hour. <laughs> I love it. Do the next right thing. The, no, I think it is the next best step. But um, but I really like that that because one of my questions was going to be, do you do you sit and plan what you're going to do next? Um, but from looking through all your posts, it's clear that you're just kind of rolling with it and you're taking yeah, just taking the yeah, next step. Yeah, I mean, I, step. I don't plan any social yeah. media. <clears throat> I do it whenever I feel like it, whenever I have a time for it, or whether or, or whether I have something to say. Mm. I mean, everything these days is about easy ways to put practice into your real life you know mm. whether yeah. it's digestible let's call it digestible wisdom or quotes like that mm. or how do we create a training that's relevant to to things that are applicable but actually how do we do things that keep us moving forward mm. and i think the challenge for a lot of people can be i've got so many ideas or so many things i want to do but then nothing really gets done nothing really ever moves forward and you kind of are in these cycles of things just seemingly like they take a long time mm. so for me it's been a pattern of growth of going how do i just Okay, I want to put a little a bit of wisdom or a little quote up on a social media. Great, mm. bang. What do I want to say? What is it working? Great, put it up, done, it's out, mm. move on. So should we just go back a little bit? How did you get into the wellness industry? Well, can I ask one question okay. before we go down Interrupted that Interrupted by the husband, there we go. Uh, you, the, you read the book recently that I did as well called Deep Work by Cal Newport. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, about getting kind of focused and finding your kind of yeah. your focus zone. What, did you have any takeaways from that? Or did that reinforce what you already did or already believed? I think a lot of it was reinforced. It's always great to hear other people's angles and how they approach things. I mean, I've always been raised as someone who has who has made decisions or has been taught to focus quite uh, dedicated on topics. Like, yeah, I guess maybe these days people think I'm quite chilled and try to relax, but like my background is academics. My background is business. My background is, you know, let's call it a type achievement, you know, growing up in LA, doing all kinds of sports and music and other activities. So it was very much, I would, I, I grew up in a, in an environment of, of achievement, mm-hmm. which maybe is not the best approach these days, but actually that kind of foundation for me has actually made it quite, I say, easy to understand how to get things done. And your family are all kind of high achievers, aren't they? And that was kind of yeah, I mean, my my, my, my siblings are, are kind of, you know, everyone is kind of relevant, uh, relatively high achieving in what they do, whether kind of it's in business or in arts or in, in those types of things. But, uh, you know, my family culture and kind of, I guess, the academic culture I was raised in was about uh, focus and achievement. And by going through that process, it, it gives you the opportunity to then do what you want. Mm. Holly, so I interrupted you. You did. So back to my question. How did you get into the wellness industry, Mike? Um, I, I dare I say I grew up in it without realizing it, right? I grew up in Santa Monica in Los mm. Angeles. Mm. LA is one of the Western epicenters for yoga, mindfulness, yeah. meditation. I mean, America is, right? I mean, and this is, you know, early, you know, early mid 80s, early 90s. I mean, as I was going through that kind of era of my life, I wasn't per se going to a yoga class or doing meditation at home, but it was part of the life and the lifestyle and the culture, mm. which might not have been the case maybe here in the UK or other places. And so it wasn't weird to know a yoga teacher. It wasn't weird to see a Pilates studio. It wasn't weird that people were asking you to have, uh, you know, vegetarian meals and healthy approaches or mm. alternative therapies. I mean, that was very much cultural as in the, in the fabric of it all. Why do you think it was like it grew up there so much and developed there? Is it the climate? Is it the ocean nearby? Is it the yeah, I think it's all of it. I mean, I, I think it's a lot of it is the city itself. Like it is climate, it's ocean. You can see that as, as a reflective of lots of places around the world where there's big wellness communities, mm. LA, New York, Vancouver, Sydney. You know, these are places that the culture of the city and the culture and the lifestyle is very much about enjoying life or experiencing nature, mm-hmm. which is why there's a lot of link to it. Because if you go to Sydney, you know, everyone's surfing. If you go to LA, everyone's running on the beach and yeah. playing beach volleyball. Like it's inbuilt into the DNA of the people who live there. If you go to London, everyone is angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, everyone, you know, that it's grayer and wetter. And, yeah. you know, and also at the same time, you have to think that like it or not, America will lead the way on a lot of things just based on money, consumerism, quantity of people, and, you know, let's call it uh, an American ideology of push, 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 push. Mm. So, and then you went into music at some point, is that right? Were you a musician? Yeah. yeah. So I grew up as a musician. So my background was, I was a concert percussionist, so oh. everything from pianos and drums to anything you can play in an orchestral sense or a band sense. Mm. You know, I did my phase of trying to be in, in a band playing the drums and all that kind of stuff. What kind of band? Uh, Amazing. I mean, let's call it just, you know, actually it was first like a jazz band. Oh, you know, wow. It was kind of just a normal kind of like, let's call it a everyday rock band. I mean, this is kind of like... Like Fall Out Boy, Fall Out Boy era, that kind of vibe. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's going to help you get through this, yes, you can, you can consider that. <laughs> but in that sense, uh, you know, it was actually more always, at the end of the day, more about classical. Um, oh, I was nice. in kind of all like the classical and the state orchestras and stuff like that. Yeah. So I actually ended up getting a scholarship to UCLA for music, wow. which is um, how that? I spent... Yeah, yeah. Didn't you were that good? Yeah. So what? So yeah, what? Ha- just... Sorry, I'm just so interested. So what happened? Because you know, if music's in your soul, I always think that mm. it comes back at some point. And yet, yeah. I mean, you're doing absolutely amazing things. But do you do you ever are you ever tempted to go back into music in any capacity? Or I mean, I I always love going back to music. But do I have the skills to go back into the music? Not necessarily. Right. right? <laughs> I mean, I you know I had the scholarship to music, and so obviously at that time I was playing a lot, mm. and I you know could you know let's say do everything that was necessary to play at that level. Mm. But I mean, Holly, you would know this. Once you kind of step away for a little bit, 
things go out the window pretty quickly oh, yeah. and then it takes a bit of work to come back. It comes back. The, yeah. yeah. It comes back. The passion never leaves. Mm. The knowledge doesn't leave, mm. but let's say the chops leave yeah. a little bit. <laughs> and so because I had moved away from that, so like I kind of, I mean, let's call it the typical thing where I got the scholarship for music and then halfway through college, I was like, oh, I'm done with music. Mm. I'd like to do other things. Mm. <clears throat> so I moved away from music and then kind of got into other things and you know, uh, but I had always had a really uh, strong interest in music and lifestyle and the culture of music. And so, you know, LA was ripe for that. And so I did work around the environment, whether mm-hmm. it was like working with musicians or supporting on producing musicians or helping to manage musicians and those types of things. Why it's always kind of carried through. I can imagine that was, sorry, I, was, I can imagine that would be quite tough in LA because you hear about the environment being quite toxic and it's all very, I think I read in one of your interviews somewhere that it was all this struggle to get to the top and you were rushing to kind of, mm. you know, be, be there when actually you should focus on being here and, you know, the steady ride of the journey. Did you, did you find that in the, the industry that it was tough in that sense? Um, for me, it wasn't really because I was never in the industry. I was, right. I was, let's call it the, the academic musician in okay. university. Mm. It wasn't like I was trying to be in a band, trying right. to get on a record label. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's far too much of a stretch even mm-hmm. for me to say mm-hmm. I had that kind of claim. But I mean, because I shifted away from actually playing music and, and then really because in the earlier years after college or even in college, you know, I, I actually spent a lot of time in like the nightclub scene and in the entertainment scene, working a lot with talent musicians, mm-hmm. doing events and those type of things. So it was always around musicians. I mean, I, I worked, I worked at the Grammys for like four or five years. Mm. We, we, I worked with l- loads of artists early on in different support ways or in different projects. So it was always like in a studio, but never playing music. I was mm. always at a meeting where we were talking about that or talking about who's going to be at this performance. So it was, it was being a part of the culture, but not needing or not being the talent or needing to be in that role of it. But in many ways, you are still doing that, aren't you, with Just Breathe? Like you're working with multiple musicians is it mm. through the Roundhouse as well as other places? Yeah, thank you for doing your research. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's very much that. I mean, everything I've always done my whole life has been lifestyle relevant, culture relevant, community relevant. So even with Just Breathe, a big part of it is underpinned with how do we work with musicians to tell a story? How do we work with artists to create conversations? How do we bring moments there. How do I bring moments of mindfulness through a lens or a filter that you're familiar with, or that's aspirational for you, or that's interesting for someone who's resistant to it? And so, yeah, we, we had a partnership with a lot of the Roundhouse uh, resident musicians who come and play some of the events. Um, we produce records for different musicians who have really mindful, inspiring messages in their music. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, we have partnerships with different recording studios. I mean, Holly, you know, as well, like different recording studios mm-hmm. that we do our um, recording sessions in. And now we link a lot of music and meditations together. And so it's always been something that I believe helps people connect to these practices, but done in a way that is familiar or maybe inspiring or aspirational for them. Mm. then the journey from music you then so when i met you how long was that like eight years no seven years ago really? maybe it's a long Something time like isn't yeah. it a long time i moved to the uk in 2011 and mm. i think we probably started hanging out in 2013 so somewhere you, around then you were was it an art would you class it as an art director what would you class yourself no, as no i mean i i i effectively my background is as a um a brand strategist and a producer. And so I was working with creative agencies, running creative agencies on developing uh, strategies, producing, you know, shoots and videos, um, you know, working in that space again of, let's say, lifestyle creativity, but bringing different projects to life for brands and things like and that. Like, how did you end up there? Like going from the, you know, the music production, yeah. then fairly senior in that world. Like how, what was a, what's a missing link? I mean, well, I mean, the missing link is probably about 15 years, right? And so the missing link is... I always forget you're, is, old, you're old, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> What's yeah, old? Yeah. Oh my God, how, are you 50-something? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, Adam thinks I'm like, you know, 72. Yeah, Mike, Mike within LA in the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean I, I, I mean, I always laugh because, I mean, I'm not obviously that old, but I'm not that young. It's like, I, you know, I grew up in the, like, let's call it like the, the NSYNC and Britney Spears era where <gasps> oh, most people were probably, stop. you know, 
Who knows? Mm. A bit in a different era. Best era ever. And he was he was right. involved in Woodstock. He you produced Woodstock, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, no, of course. Um, no, but I mean, I, I mean, yeah, no, I'd love to. So you, but, I mean, that, that in that gap, gap yeah. yeah, yeah. And so let's say if you go from music to it was actually events. So I first did events, um, kind of as let's say a first job, and I did events where we we ran aspects of. Uh, um, some of the projects with the Grammys. I was doing events with Nike and doing a lot of mm. lifestyle projects were around sports and culture and all these kind of things that then kind of, you know, puts you on a trajectory to do stuff that's kind of, let's say the culturally relevant things. And then I moved to Australia for five years where mm. I did similar stuff out there. And then when I moved to the UK, you kind of bring all those things with you. Mm. And ultimately the work that I was doing professionally back then was just about how do you create cultural relevance for people or brands or events and how do you make it in a way that people connect to it mm. but yeah i mean it is a mixed bag as well it's so, quite a few different things it sounds like your path from how you're describing it is really naturally unraveled and you've kind of just gone from one thing to the next really naturally where have kind of the areas of struggle been have you had sort of many self-doubts and thought oh well, am i on the right path am i in the right industry yeah. I mean, who hasn't, right? Yeah. There's always going to be times where, I mean, when you're younger, I mean, I, I remember distinctly when I was younger, let's say 24, 25, when I was living in LA. And uh, at the time I was working for some entertainment event company or something. And I remember um, uh, I had finished my contract there and I was like, oh crap, now what do I do? Mm. I can't move anywhere else because do they even have jobs in other cities that I could do because I'm so focused on music and entertainment and these things that I like. Mm. And so it was, you know, you, I have all these moments in my life where I'm like, am I doing the right thing or am I being pushed to do something that I'm not sure I want to do? And that, and even, you know, all of the stuff I do now is a big part of that mm. because making a step from working in lifestyle, art, culture, music, all that to go, okay, now I'm going to go be a yoga teacher. <laughs> it's quite a big leap. Yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I mean, now, sure, not so much. But back then it was like, is this the right thing? And then for me, you know, those early ambitions weren't really matched by income. They weren't matched by the same status. They weren't matched by um, the right sense or the same sense of response. You know, I had big projects I was working on, teams I was working on. Then all of a sudden you're working by yourself and then no one else is going to help you. Mm. And, you know, so there was a lot of times where I was like, oh, crap have I really signed up to do everything by myself now? Right. Or that yeah. feeling of doing everything by yourself. And were, was, you, were you generally self-employed at that time, like contracting? Uh, I wasn't, I mean, I was always, so I also had a struggle as well where, I mean, I was born in New Zealand. I grew up in the U S lived in Australia, mm. lived. And when I moved to the UK, uh, I had a visa. And so I've always had to have a full-time job living in the UK until, um, 2018. And so even though I've been teaching uh, since 2006, 2007, because of le legal and visa status, I've always had to do arguably, I mean, Adam, you and I have chatted about this. I've arguably had to do 40 hours more work than everyone a week just to be able to stay in the country. 40 hours more. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'd be working sound? a full-time job knowing that, and this is probably more in the, in the last five years, working a full-time job knowing that more of my work is focused on teacher trainings, on events, on Just Breathe stuff, on, you know, I, I was, and I, and I can say this, I was, I was making three times more revenue, not at my job mm. than <laughs> at my job, but having to work the hours, otherwise I couldn't stay in the country. Oh my and gosh. so for me, I'm going, is this worth the effort? I'm clocking 70, 80 hours a week yeah. while I'm teaching eight times a week and doing teacher trainings six times a year, plus having to show up from nine God. to, you know, six every day and then doing, traveling. Doing what, sorry? What was your normal job then? So this is, when I was in the UK, I was still running creative agencies. Oh, okay. I was still mm. working in that environment. And so I would, I would, um, and this is probably right around the beginning when I met Adam is mm. I'd be working a nine to five and then I'd go, let's say I'd go to Sweden on the weekend to teach Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, catch the late flight back Sunday or first thing <gasps> Monday to go straight back in the work to do it again. There is another you, Adam. <laughs> I well, thought Adam was the only type. <laughs> yeah. That's what? probably before him doing, that's where yeah, you think he wow. learned it from, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is what people have, this is what oh. people have to do. I'm like, okay, well, let's. Oh my but gosh. for me, it was like, I was passionate about the things I wanted to do. 
So the sacrifice was my time, yeah. relationships, social mm -hmm. activity, yeah, I because I knew that if I wanted to stay in London, I had to do these things, which took up my yeah. time. So that's the question then. Why did you want to stay in London so much? Like, did you at any point think, okay, so I'm working all these hours formally and doing all this informal work. Why don't I just go to New Zealand and just do all the stuff I want to do yeah. and not have to be concerned with visas and the like? Sure. I mean, now who doesn't want to go to New Zealand? <laughs> yeah. Great yeah, place yeah. to go. But I mean, when I... And I've always been someone who keeps moving forward. Like I'd lived in the US and, you know, let's say done a lot of things I wanted to do, accomplished different things I wanted to experience, moved to Australia, did the same. And then I wanted to come to London and the UK to experience this side of the world. And the let's say the visa status I was on, I could only actually stay for two years. So if I wanted to stay and, you know, after those first 18 months, I was like, well, actually there's more here I want to do. Mm. But the only way to do that is to sign up for, you know, a more complicated situation um you know and mm. there was more community here there was you know five six seven years ago in the uk it was the very beginning of the wellness scene and community and even back then it was new here but it wasn't new for me because i had done it in the us and i grew up in it and so it felt like i was almost ahead of the current anyway so no, why not stay and be a part of it psychic, 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 but it's kind no of not like, psychic but you'd seen it like, you'd seen it all before so you could kind of recreate it and adapt it to a new city yeah recreate it be a part of it help with it or mm. at sometimes you know lead on it and community is really your thing isn't it you've built up so many different communities so where has have you always been that way inclined have you always loved um community or have you maybe not felt welcome is that what inspired you to build communities i don't know i'm just you know asking <laughs> do you not actually, do you not have any friends just, in high school did you do were you bullied yeah, yeah. did you have no friends like where did it come yeah, from I mean, just sorry i'm being quite forward today <laughs> no but i, I we mean, like it's a good you. question it's a question that's you know, rude. well do you know i didn't finish i was going to say or were you really welcome <laughs> in loads of communities and did you lead them when you were younger you know etc where did it come yeah. from the I building mean, it, community? It's, 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 it's a, a fair question, question. and i think the question is less about uh, was I in it or was I welcomed? It was more about, I, I, I grew up with lots of different interests and okay. let's say interests and things I enjoyed. So naturally I was, I was a part of different communities, mm. whether it was like, you know, in the U S on the soccer team, but you're also in the, you know, in the orchestra program mm. and you're also in the academic after school program. And so you're in these little pockets that maybe are quite specific in their own interest but for me, because I grew up in Santa Monica, that was quite diverse, quite inclusive, mm. quite open and quite um, liberal, you were encouraged to do many things. Mm. My family was encouraging me to do many things. So as I grew up and got a bit older, you know, after you finish school, you kind of are no longer part of that group and that group and that group. And you kind of are asked to focus a little more on the things you're interested I kind of went the other way and said, I'm just going to keep doing lots of different things that I mm. like. Mm. Hopefully at some point, you know, I'll find something I like to do for a while right and i was i was somewhat directionless coming out of high school go to university knowing i was on a music scholarship it's like am i going to do music forever probably not mm. so what else can i do and so i'd always dipped into lots of things and so for me the community building aspect came from being a part of a lot of communities yeah. but then it really started to accelerate when i got to the uk and when i got here i didn't know anyone i had a cousin who lived in fulham Mm. who had two kids at the time and it was just kind of like there's the spare room you can use for a month until you find a place and then make sure you come and visit every few months because you've got nieces and nephews right mm -hmm. so it, it wasn't like i stepped into anything grand here of like mm. ta-da i've got these friends and those communities and even at the time like there was a fraction of the yoga studios it was half the amount of you know a fraction of the wellness events like there wasn't things <clears throat> and so i spent a lot of time figuring it out trying to see where I fit. And then ultimately mm -hmm. it just came down to, well, I'm comfortable in who I am and I know the skill sets I have. Why not create something? Because there's likely other people who are in the same position or actually can mm. benefit from these kind of um, environments. Mm. What you do a lot of as well is you kind of mix communities up a little bit. Like you have people like Okiem, you know, a great pianist. He mm. probably never mm. thought he'd be involved in the mindfulness wellness world mixed with then people from i guess more logistical backgrounds getting involved with just breathe or people like my mate craig who's like an angry northern barrister is he involved well no not involved in organ but ending up at one of your or your events yeah. and like really enjoying yeah. it like he's real yeah. 
can you speak about that this idea like mixing communities and mixing skill bases yeah i mean it's probably not even mixing it's maybe about appreciating that most people aren't one-dimensional mm. but yet we are asked to be or we're identified you know your friend craig who's a barrister and <laughs> maybe you think people might think he's very you know this way and firm and you know all about you know the numbers and getting somewhere successfully he can come to an event and go actually i can just have a chat and actually doesn't matter what everyone else does, let's just have a chat and have mm. a laugh. I think a lot of times as we get older, unless you grow up, unless you stay living in the place that you grew up, you lose a lot of the types of people you hung out with as kids mm. who just liked you for you, yeah. as opposed to your skill set or what you can add or, mm. or offer to their life. So and so a lot of my communities are intermixed because it's really fundamentally built on what would it be like to have adult friends who represent your childhood friends who just care about you or are just interested in things as opposed to the productivity or or the you know the offering of things that's so lovely, that's really lovely way to look I, at it. I went to one of um your just breathe events in december yeah, you did. and i loved that because we all sat in circles and you know sometimes it can be a bit like oh i want to introduce myself and talk, talk about what i do and you specifically said not talking about work no one say what they do for a living because then you're immediately labeled or categorized or stereotyped and it was so refreshing and it was so simple mm. but so effective yeah and you said you were going to ask a question that we had to ask to the rest uh, or talk about with the rest of the group i was like oh god here we go and i think you said um right talk about your favorite christmas dessert i was like oh yes we don't have to talk about work or mm. anything like that and it was just really getting to know people at yeah like almost a childish level like going right back to do you know what, yeah, yeah it was really i mean that's the whole point of it like the, the sense of being childish mm. shouldn't be a negative, right? That sense of actually just having normal everyday conversations mm. is fine. But a lot of times our worlds or our careers or our lifestyles aren't designed for that. We have maybe those conversations with our partners and our close friends, but at the same time, you have history with those people. When can you just have, you know, gentle conversations around let's call it somewhat meaningless things mm. that make meaningful moments. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I love that. We've we've talked a lot about kind of formal work and career and kind of what you're doing now to a degree. We haven't really talked about how you even got into yoga and how mm. you started on that, I guess, parallel wellness path that yeah. was there the whole time, mm -hmm. but wasn't mm -hmm. how you made money. So where, 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 your yoga experience initially... Yeah, I mean, Sounds for fun. me initially, and actually, it was funny. I was, uh, you know, today's Friday. I was, I was having a chat with one of my very, very first teachers yesterday, um, and his name's Travis Elliott. And I started practicing yoga in LA. I'm gonna say I, we both both forget, forgot, but we agreed it's around 2003, 2004, mm -hmm. something like that, um, and. LA was great in that sense because it was further ahead. So there was more classes, more studios, you know, there was arguably even at that time, around that time, you know, 14 or 15 yoga studios on a city block. Like there was, it was a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's kind of one of the Western centers because you have people like, you know, Shiva Ray, Andy Carpenter, Rod Stryker, Brian Kess, Baron Baptiste, um, you know, all these teachers who taught at the same block of, of studios in the early, you know, in the early '90s and 2000s, who then expanded the practice around the world, which is why LA gets credited as one of those early epicenters. So for me, I was lucky. It was, it was, it was dumb luck, like dumb lucky in the sense I lived down the street from a yoga studio, and I had a friend who was like, "Hey, do you want to go to class?" And it was a bit like, "Why?" Hmm. And then it was, you know, it was one of those like, you know, friendly chats when you're in your early 20s, you're like, fine, let's just go. And you just, you know, and I went and it was, it wasn't fancy. It wasn't flashy. There were, you know, this is before Instagram, before people knew who any teachers were like the biggest teachers in the world were just teachers in the studio in LA because it just wasn't a thing. Mm. And so I went to practice and let's say had the, the typical epiphany of this is really powerful and this is really, you know, beneficial for me, you know, again, mm -hmm. at the time living in LA probably a bit more too much ego and a little mm. less to show for it and mm. so it was it was probably one of the first times in my adult life getting knocked down knocked back and not being able to talk my way out of it mm. and do, you, do you think it made a difference that it was travis who's kind of like for anyone that hasn't know him like just like he's like a normal cool dude isn't it like non-hippie um, 
I mean, it, it helped to keep me going back, but I, I mean, and I still, to this day, I wish I knew her name, but the very, I remember the very, very first practice I went to, it was at this studio called City Yoga, which is on Fairfax and Melrose. Uh, it's not there anymore. It's now Yoga Works, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a lady who was at the time probably in her early 50s. She, we did nothing fancy, but I mean, I'd never done yoga. So everything was a revelation. But also at the end, I was like, why am I so tired mm-hmm. and beat up and no one else is? <laughs> and, you know, and so then for me, that was like a, a, an awakening, let's call that. But yeah, I mean, it did help because after that, I then found teachers like Travis. I found other teachers who kind of, I could relate to that allowed me to continue to go back. And then what was great about LA, which is kind of why I try to embody this is that, you know, American yoga is very friendly in sense of like the teacher goes, hi guys, welcome to class, turn to the person to your left, say hi, tell them something about yourself. Yeah. You know, all that kind of Adam's stuff favorite. that would not go down <laughs> as well here. And so, you know, you have a chat to the person to your left and you have a chat to the person to your right. And, and, and then because they're in that era, and, and it's, you know, it's like that here in a lot of places. In that era, you know, there's people who are going back five times a week. So inevitably, you're running into the same mm. people. And inevitably, everyone's really excited to be there and enjoys being there. And then you've seen them five, ten times. So at some point, you become friends. Or at some point, you bond over the yoga practice. And so you feel like you belong. And that, for me, allowed me to kind of really find my place in yoga early because mm. I just felt I was a part of a community and having teachers and people around who were kind of my yoga crew. And, you know, and also at the same time, I was in college and those type of things. So convincing any of my friends to go to class, that was just an, that was just a non-starter. Hmm. You know, it was just kind of, so it was my thing to go do. And it was a bit like, I'm just going to go do my thing. And then I all, you know, kind of grew into having new friends and grew out of my college friends. Mm. What made you want to leave then? I know you say you, you just naturally always want to move forward, but it sounds like you had something really good going in LA and Australia. And, you know, so what made you keep taking a jump? Do you, do you feel a need to get outside your comfort zone and start something new or did something happen to make you leave? Or no, I mean, it? it's, it's actually the opposite. I'm actually fundamentally by nature quite resistant to change. Oh, okay. You know, it's a bit like I'll wear the same sweatshirt for a week because it's really comfy. Um, <laughs> case in point. And so, you know, but at the time for me, you know, teaching yoga, A, wasn't a career aspiration. Like mm-hmm. I was very much like, I need a job where I can make this much money, do these mo- these things and whatever. And so going to yoga was a hobby on the side. Like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. It's really fun, but obviously I need to get a job. Like mm-hmm. I, need, I need to have a life and have a job. And so as I started working through LA and, you know, spent the first three or four years of my life working in LA, I was quite... I mean, let's say quite successful at what I was doing early on. So I had a few, let's say, minor achievements that made me feel like I was moving forward. Mm. But then I had quite a, let's say a rude awakening, but I, you know, it was like, I think it was 24, 25 time. It was the first time I had got fired. I'd first time I'd lost a job. Why were you fired? uh, Sorry, fires on the, but I'd lost a job because the company shut down. Okay. It was an events company and they kind of went out of business. And so everyone got a phone call of like, we're no longer going to be doing any more Mm. events. Thanks. (laughs) You know, and you know, it was one of those and it was, you know, done in a very, let's call it Hollywood way where it's kind of like, and we're done now. I mean, it was and cut. And (laughs) so I found myself with a choice of like, do I now have to go find another job or actually, is this an interesting moment to go travel? Mm. Uh, my brother at the time lived in Sydney. So actually, it wasn't, I'm going to go change my life and travel the world. It was like, I'm going to go spend six weeks down in Australia, mm. hanging out on a beach, trying to get a job at a bar and just messing about and, you know, doing some yoga. Mm. Oh, and then, dreamy. Yeah. And, you, and then I got there and then stayed for five years. <laughs> oh, wow. It's actually, I think I always think those gaps are really important to capitalize on. Whenever you have a little gap in career or responsibility, which I guess as you get older, those gaps become increasingly rare. <laughs> I think it's so important. Rare, but, but more appreciative. I think when I was that age, I was like, if I finish a job on Friday, I need to start a new one on Monday. Otherwise, what's the point? Oh my God, you two are, say, are coming yeah. the same cloth. I'm like, let's go on holiday. <laughs> the, the yoga teaching, so at what point did you decide and why did you do it, a teacher training? Mm. I mean, for clarity's sake, I never wanted to be a yoga teacher, right? Did I, say, yeah. <laughs> so right? interesting. I ne- that, was, that was never the plan because my mindset at that time was 
this is not a job or a career, mm. right? And and it was you know this is two thousand six or seven, whenever it was, and it was I mean I had done teacher training stuff in LA, but I had never done like full on all in two hundred hour training mm. right until I got to Australia, and at the time it was it was because I didn't have anything to do arguably like I was in Australia that first month I was looking for jobs and doing all kinds of things the easiest way to make friends was go to yoga because. At the time, again, after practicing for five years in LA, dare I say, I thought I was pretty good at yoga, so I thought I could make friends pretty quickly mm-hmm. going to yoga, doing the yoga stuff, right? And so, let's say the American kid in, in Sydney doing yoga, you know, and you know, I was like, okay, great, I'll meet some people of like mind. What do you want mm-hmm. to call it? And so, I was at the studio so much that the teachers there were like, "Why are you going to do you teacher training?" <laughs> But it was was a bit like you're here all the time slash you seem to know that what you're doing and you seem to enjoy it and you seem to chat to everyone here. Mm. I'm sure granted at the same time, it was a little bit of an upsell of like, and you should do the teacher training. I didn't learn until later on years later, that was actually one of the first teacher trainings they had done with the Mm. studio. It was like the second one. And so I think it was part of like a, let's, let's bring in, let's try to get some of the people who are at the studio a lot to do the training. And so when I did the training, it was more like, I just wanted to know more about the practice. Right? Mm-hmm. And it was very genuine. I just want to know more about the practice. I want to know more about the philosophy. I have, I've got no real uh, intention into teaching and not trying to do that because I'm busy doing other stuff and I'm soon going to have a job that's going to be doing this, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't teach training. Um, and because I did the training through the studio, I was practicing you're just more part of the family after you do the training. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, part of the course was you had to then assist classes. And so then I was assisting classes for six months. And it's one of those things that kind of got sprung on me. And because of our group of, let's say, 20 people, I was one of the more dedicated practitioners. I mean, at the time I was practicing, <clears throat> I mean, I, I was practicing probably 11, 12 times a week. What? Because I had the time, I would do doubles. Wow. Like I do a double back to back, then take the day off and then come back and do another class. Mm. I mean, uh, and so because I was always there, I was practicing so much. And then because they knew I had done the teacher training, inevitably at some point it was like, oh, can you now, you know, cover this class mm. or can you now do this thing? And And I did it and I enjoyed it, but it was more of like, I'm happy to help you guys out and I'll do it once or twice every now and then, but it's not like I'm trying to get on the schedule so I can leave my job or leave, you know, what I'm doing and become a yoga teacher. It it wasn't the thing for me. It was yoga was the place that was not competitive at all Mm -hmm. for my life. So it was like the one place I tried to keep as separate as possible. And like I was resistant to doing anything in yoga business or career wise for the longest time. Mm. Uh, I'm very biased, but <laughs> I love, but I think some of the best teachers that I know are the teacher that didn't intend to be teachers. They didn't they didn't go into it with the gender like I'm gonna make a career change. It just evolved. Their their practice evolved into them wanting to learn more. The learning more involved due to circumstance and teaching a few classes and then due to competence or popularity or to enjoyment of the art of teaching yoga, it kind of developed from there. And I, I've encountered that many times with some of the teachers I resonate most with. It, it wasn't about career. Mm. It just developed. I, mean, I agree. And it, I think those are the teachers who are genuinely interested in the practice. And I'm not saying other teachers aren't, mm. <clears throat> but if you're kind of looking at becoming a yoga teacher strategically, as in I enjoy the practice, but then I can also teach classes and then I can also travel the world and then I can also get sponsored by a brand and all these kind of things. Um, sometimes we can lose the the focus or the, the initial passion by getting tempted by the career or the progression. Mm. Well, sometimes I guess as well, the initial passion hasn't had time to develop. Like yeah. I think you, as, you, as with you, you know, you had done yoga as a practitioner for so long, you knew what it was to really practice yoga. I think it's sort of, I mean, it was only five years. And I mean, I wouldn't say that's a long time before doing a but training. But compared to a lot, a lot of people now are doing trainings within a year sure. uh, and not even practicing that much in that course of that year and then deciding on, this career change strategy, but we can park, they'll park that because we talk about that a lot. And you say that you're um, you're an introvert. So how does that play a part in all this? Was it ever a scary thing for you to get up and teach? And I know you do so much public speaking now, or is that kind of, or do you not feel that at all? 
Um, I mean, yes, I would say I'm an in, like I am. I am probably the most happiest at home <laughs> by myself or in my bubble of small people. It's not like I don't I don't need to be in front of like I don't thrive on being in front of a big group. Yeah. Uh, I think over time it's become part of obviously part of my job mm-hmm. and part of teaching, and now it's part of a skill set of being able to let's say. Uh, hold space in front of a group of people, mm. but even earlier on, I remember the first. I remember the very, very first time I was asked to teach a yoga class where people were actually paying to be there, mm. <clears throat> which is different, right? Than like mm. teaching your yeah. friends and whatever. I had been asked last minute to cover a class at the studio because someone was away or something, and I swore blind that I wasn't going to do it. I was like, I made up <laughs> lots of excuses, and again, I was lucky at the time where I had teachers who were like. You just need to do it. I can see that you're you're floundering a bit, like you're flapping a bit, like this is happening, mm. like mm-hmm. it's going to happen kind of situation, mm. which was which was kind of the nudge I needed. And I remember the night before or the day before, I dragged my brother to the local park and I was like, I'm going to teach you this whole class. <laughs> my brother doesn't do yoga, right? And so he was like, yeah, I'm happy to help. I'm like, I generally have no idea what we're doing. And then I slept on the sofa because I couldn't sleep all night. And I pretty much stayed up the whole night like practicing, practicing, oh, yes. saying my sequence out, like sweating bullets <laughs> and then getting to the first class. And again, this at this time, the studio was actually quite a busy studio. So it's like, I get to class and there's like 40 people there. Wow. I'm like, crap, you know? And my studio was unique at the time um, because, well, not unique at the time, but it was so dedicated that, that they had asked me to cover class, but then like three of the senior teachers were in the class oh, to like see how I did. Oh, and that, it, that's and just so mean. It, it, it was it was mean. It was like trial by fire. It was all these kind of things where it was like, and so it's like I'm in there going, oh my goodness, right? And it was just kind of like, and I'm sure it was fine. I didn't know anyone in class that well, so I didn't really get any feedback. And then, you know, my teachers, some of the teachers were quite strict, so you get like the feedback, but you also had to turn in your class plan. So after class, they take your class plan and go, you missed this. Oh. Why don't you do this? You didn't cue that right. And so oh it gosh. was a bit more strict back in those days in the in the in the in the practices that I grew up in and so for me those first classes were like you need to figure out how to to share a whole experience and that kind of made me have to go okay well I actually need to show up and you know and that's kind of some of those early practices or early experiences have helped me figure out how to be not necessarily more extroverted but how to be effective in spaces in front of people mm. We're going to fast forward again now. So you've got these two parallel paths of kind of yoga teaching and all of your like formal career, let's call it. And then at some point you decided to try and actively make all of the wellness stuff work. And you started Mm. to use your skills, you know, to create things like the boys of yoga, Mm -hmm. just breathe Sunday yoga school. Like what, what made you think actually now I'm definitely going to make this my path. I'm going to try and wean myself off yeah. the, the obligation to do the jobs and actually make this mm-hmm. my path and my career. Yeah. I mean, I mean, arguably it was never the goal to actually wean myself off working. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and go, the plan was always to get to this point where I could just, you know, teach yoga, travel, write books, do, do wellnessy stuff. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, and, and, you know, early, I mean, it wasn't actually till I got to the UK. I mean, I always kept things separate. It was until about 2014. So even the first three years when I worked, when I lived in the UK, I still taught yoga. I taught at the Power Yoga Company in Fulham. I taught at Hot mm-hmm. Power Yoga, which isn't there in Clapham. I taught a little bit at Lumi Power Yoga in West London. Um, I, I was teaching at studios, but it was just, a, let's call it a side thing. I would just go and teach my two classes, my four classes, and then I would just, you know, living in like I'd be a Londoner let's call it that mm. but it was around 2014 where I was like okay well actually there's an opportunity for me to celebrate some things that I'm interested in it wasn't like if I do this project then I can get this path going and then mm. make this thing happen and, and it was boys yoga being one of them it was you know um, starting to to look towards teacher trainings other kind of things but it was I am interested in celebrating or focusing on things that I'm interested in because even at the time, and Adam, you would know this from when we started hanging out, 
you know, I could probably say at the time, and obviously this is more of as an example, you know, I could only name five guys who taught yoga, right? And and so it's like, how do we celebrate this in a different way? How do I merge it with my whole upbringing in yoga in the community? Because the, the London yoga community was further behind than America and even Australia. And so those kind of projects for me was about putting more focus and time and effort into the stuff and wellness and launching those projects with, with you and, and other people that then inevitably because it became a thing became more of a thing. And at the same time, things like Lululemon launched and other studios launched and big festivals launched. And, you know, I was, I guess, lucky or we were both lucky to be in those waves of people are looking for different conversations or ways to, to expand uh, or, or invite people in. And so I was kind of swept up in the wave of the wellness movement as someone maybe leading the way on it. And so a lot of opportunities came off the back of it. Mm. Um, but it was because of all the work that was done before, mm. but also because I've spent a lot of my time in different countries and traveling, like I knew a lot of people in the community. I grew up with a lot of people in the global community. So it was part of a different kind of approach on it all. I don't know. I think your skill was the perfect fit at the time, weren't they? Like your mm. skill was yeah. in making something, as you said, your, your job was about, make well how did you phrase it like cultural things like celebrating cultural developments and yoga it it was really about i had the skill set to create things that people could connect to Hmm. and a lot of times it's you need to create i mean even at a fundamental level a website and a poster as well as an event and a message and i could i mean i don't even know if you know this like even when i were putting together originally like that boys of yoga project which was at the time 2014 right it was and it seems strange because it was only five or six years ago it was highly controversial Mm. i don't know if you remember that like it was like what is this thing that people are doing Mm -hmm. yeah it was controversial or conversational but even at the same time it took me six months to even find five other people that suited the message that we were that i was trying to say mm. and even that and then same with just breathe that launched in 2016 the same type of thing it's like are people actually going to want to come and sit in a room while someone plays you know an electric guitar and then we do a meditation like mm. is that a thing but for me i kind of knew they were all going to work because we had, you know I'd, I'd done it in the us and i'd done it in australia it was just it hadn't been these conversations weren't being had mm in the UK or in London where I was living. I think if you really see something and you you envision it and you believe in it, it's, it's just gonna manifest naturally. What would you say is your underlying mission? Both, can I add to that? Both for the work you're doing and then personally, what, what do you want out of life? So there are two layers. So what's Double your... layered question. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, it's it's relative, it has similar alignment, but I mean, for all the work that I do, whether it's in yoga and meditation, whether it's in, you know, different conversations, or even it's, if it's still based in the work that we're doing with um, kind of uh, events and productions, those types of things, it's really about building and celebrating communities. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the community is, how can we build it and how can we celebrate it? And then for me, off the back of that, it's the same thing. How do we, how do we create an opportunity for everyone to feel like they belong right Mm -hmm. and and that can be as simple as spending some time with people and having conversations but also how do you have a hard conversation that allows someone else to feel like that's not just them fighting the fight by themselves Mm -hmm. or how do you put people in the same room that might not have ever met each other have anything in common to help them realize that they do have a lot in common and i think that's for me why so much my work is interconnected Mm because it fundamentally is about how do we create conversations that expand, you know, decency as human beings? And that can fall across the layers of podcast chats and websites, articles and yoga trainings and books and talks and all these kind of things that can just be underpinned by, can we just be better human beings together? I love that. And on a, on a kind of selfish angle, as it were, <laughs> What do you I want? Never expect you to ask questions. What do you? So on Adam. What do you want for like for you? Like what is wealth for you? Uh, like of course, like you, yes, you're making some money, but like what is? Aside from money, though. Yeah, aside well. from money and you know being secure, like what is wealth for you? What do you want your life to be? Sure. 
I mean, that's a question. That's that's actually a really easy question for me because of my background of always having to work because of visas and because of travel and working for other people. It's always been about freedom of choice for me. Mm. I'd like to be able to do what I want when I'd like to do it. Mm. And some of that means I'd like to be able to sit in my house and write a book because mm. I want to. I'd like to I'd like to get on a plane tomorrow and go visit my niece and nephew because mm. I feel like it. Mm. Right? And I've spent so much of my life working for other people being limited by I mean there was times when I had visas and they were kind of being transitioned over that I couldn't leave country, right? I couldn't leave the country um for a month or two right and even actually i remember a time i was invited to teach my first wanderlust festival which is a big yoga festival mm. <clears throat> but it was actually in australia so i was actually asked to teach four festivals in a row it was like a it's like a six-week trip it was like huge right huge for me this is 2016 and at the time like wanderlust was a big big festival but uh what no one actually knew except for maybe um one or two people is that i had visa issues and that i was transferring my visa from one company to another and then if my visa didn't come through in a certain two-week window i'd have to cancel that whole tour oh, god but also i never told wanderlust because i was i don't want them to pull the trigger on yeah. pulling me out because they had put you know it's a million pound project million dollar project but also at the same time i'm just sitting on my sitting you know sitting on eggshells going mm. is this going to work please i hope this works otherwise it's a bit like i'm going to be ruined i'm going to be that guy who pulls out of events and festivals and You're stuff be fine. and like, I, i'd have stepped in for you you could have sent me instead it would have been good and so for me at the end of the day it's like how can i have the freedom to choose how mm. i spend my time and part of that is can i actually do enough work can mm. i make enough money can i have the right people around me mm. so actually i've done that to enable my own freedom I love That's that. That's nice. That's I love that question because it's wealth the word is linked to money isn't it? Course, but but yeah. every guest we've had and I've not even mentioned it it's always no. been about freedom or time or being able to do what you want We're when you want. We're going to have to do some quick fire ones oh, now. Sorry. It feels like it feels like at some point in the future you'll have to do like a round 2 yeah. on the more the practical elements of you building what you've built. Uh, <laughs> do we? I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> uh, so look quick fire questions. Uh what's the best invest beyond kind of yoga teacher training and education? Uh, what's the best investment you've made uh, in your in your career or multiple Financially careers? Financially or just like existentially? <sighs> Financially. <laughs> figured, figured you'd say <laughs> Take that. Take a money one. Um, actually, I'll answer this in the other way. The the, the best financial investments invest my parents ever made was putting me into music so they didn't have to pay for university. <laughs> ah, okay. then you got you got the grant, like okay. grant a scholarship. Yeah. Interesting angle. Okay, if what would a top tip be from you to any of our listeners who struggle to get still and take time out to be quiet in busy London living or wherever they're living in the world? Um, people that struggle to get still, what would your top tip be? Uh, top tip probably for uh, that kind of conversation is prioritize your well-being and don't make excuses. I love it. Right, do a few more. Uh, so you share thoughts and musings quite a lot, uh, and you read a lot, and you've got kind of quotes that you share as well. Is there any kind of quotes or passage or anything that you're kind of thinking about a lot at the moment that's in the forefront of your mind in these weird conditions in the weird environment we're in? Yeah, I mean, topically because I'm doing a lot of writing on it right now is uh, the link between uh, our our mental health. and social and spiritual health. Mm. So a lot of times we are looking at well-being purely from physical and mental and what does it mean to actually appreciate how important having people around you or social situations are, which is a massive reflection of these times of lockdown. The amount of people who have like have felt negatively impacted because they're not around their friends or they don't have a sense of hope or something to believe in. So a lot of my focus right now again because I'm I'm working on some writing for it is how do how do we help people appreciate that actually our well-being that uh the people we surround ourselves with and the things that we are hopeful towards which essentially let's call it the the opportunity for positive change how do we realize that they're just as important as you know working out every day and meditating every day. Mm, I like that. Mm. Have you read that book by Johan Harvey? 
I have the book because you recommend it to me and I've skimmed through lots of it, but I haven't sat down and read it. Cover yeah, cover. That's, is that Lost Connections? Yeah, Lost oh, Connections. That's kind of irrelevant. Like you, what you're doing is kind of uh, a development of his ideas. Like he was very much targeting about depression and connection yeah. to people. Yeah, and I you, mean, this idea is actually an expanded model yeah. of, of uh, different well-being models from, from different cultures. Um, but it's actually, it's underpinning fundamentally that humans are three-dimensional and mm. we can't just base it on physical and mental well-being. Mm. I like it. I look forward to reading it. So what do we need to tell people about where to find you and what to check out? Yeah, this I could mean, go, this is like 10, it's going to be 10 minutes, isn't it? No, we'll <laughs> get a cup of tea, guys. Get your cup of tea. You've got a few things to talk about. Um, no, I mean, keep it simple. If you want to know anything about me personally, it's Michael James Wong. Uh, on all social and websites if you're interested in in mindfulness meditation uh, and all that work it's at just breathe on instagram and justbreatheproject.com on the website there's a lot now of resources articles podcasts videos lots of stuff that kind of support that conversation and if you're interested in yoga stuff sundayschoolyoga.com and same on social is where we have events trainings uh, teacher trainings uh, as well as festivals and those conferences and, and things in the yoga space. And then if you're interested in the Boys of Yoga Project, I guess that's the same thing on, on social media and, and websites and books. Cheers. Thank Man. you, Mike. MJ, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Mercy. Thanks, guys. Honestly, I'm balanced.